Hello, podcast listeners. You're listening to another episode of The Long Journey Home, and I am your host, Corbin Johnson. Today is Tuesday, January 28th, 2014, and let's do the news. Charlie has posted an article stating that he is... Uh, requesting that people put in their room block requests for Gen Con 2014. It takes place in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, every year um, in the United States. And all that are planning to go to please, who choose to use the Continuing Committee's block program, uh, he would like uh, an email by February 14th. That's a Friday. He is looking for the hotel putter-together people in the playing groups to get their one-to-four group pods together and email them. Uh, He says that they can probably fit six people in a room, though, if you're willing to be a little cramped. Uh, The hotel is the JW Marriott, which is connected to the convention center. It's very nice. I stayed there. I highly recommend it. It is expensive, but it's pretty much worth it. You know, if you're going to go, you might as well get a lot, get get the nicest room you can with some sleep and whatnot. And he doesn't want any money right now, but uh, read the article. It's on the front page if you need to know more about getting your room assignment in. Matthias Corrali announced July Continentals for Australia. They will take place between the 6th and 7th of July, 2014. And they will take place at Good Games Hurstville. So have fun there, Australia people. John Corbett had another episode of the Discard Pile. He had Ben Hosp and Richard New on. They discussed annoying Tier 1 decks, especially Romulan decks, and uh, why they're so good. And uh, he also talked about the politics and Chris Christie and all that good stuff. It's a pretty entertaining show. I highly recommend you go watch it. It's very interesting and very fun. You can find John Corbett on YouTube and... uh, I don't think there's a link to the episode in the forums, but if you find episode one, you should be able to find episode two. Next, uh, I think next week, John Corbett will be having Mike Harrington and Nathan Weiniger, Weiniger, I don't know, uh, on, and they'll you know do their thing. All right, um, a, uh, that's it for the news this week or today. You know. Uh, we had a listener call in. Let's go ahead and listen to his call. Hey there, Corbin. This is Marauder Mo, the only Star Trek CCG player in the great state of Rhode Island. I'm a uh, avid listener of your show, and uh, you've been staying on the show recently. They said nobody calls in, nobody nobody gives any content. So I I thought I'd try to be the first caller to to uh, your show. I just, just want to let you know that. Um, your podcast is one of my favorites. Certainly when it comes up on my feed, it, it always goes to the top of my playlist. And uh, So I just want to let you know you're appreciated. Um, you know, your, your show is great. Love listening to it. Uh, so uh, the other thing I want to say is uh, I, I like the new format, um, the daily the daily format where you go over the news that's on the website and, and some of the format matters. So uh, you know, definitely uh, keep that up. I like it. Um, you know, one of the suggestions I had was that uh, you – what you should do is, uh, or maybe something you can do anyways, is, is uh, give somebody a call in your commute. Um, I don't know if your, your phone can record that, but 
uh, you know, it makes sense to me that there's, there's probably other people that are commuting around the same time as you. I'm, I'm calling you right now as I'm uh, driving into work myself. And um, so maybe find somebody that whose commute lines up uh, with yours and, and uh, give them a call and just kind of like let it be like a free flow conversation. Um, so that's just a suggestion there. Uh, you know, another suggestion for content, um, uh, there's, uh, on the, on the uh, dream card board, there's a lot of, um, uh, different contests that they, that they run. Um, and, uh, you know, I, re I really like listening to, uh, your thoughts on the, uh, the Make It So contest. And, uh, so maybe to kind of keep that going, uh, maybe check in on some of the things like the thematic or the quoted, uh, uh, you know, check out some of the entries and, uh, and provide your thoughts and, um, your feedback to the uh, uh, armchair designers uh, on the board there on uh, how they can make their cards better. So anyways, those are the two big suggestions. Just want to say again, thank you for the show. Uh, congratulations on uh, hitting the 50th episode, and I uh, hope to hear more from you. So thank you, and have a great day. All right. Thanks, Marauder Mo, for that. Uh, your feedback is very much appreciated. I'm hoping to have an interview at some point with one of the attendees of Nationals uh, here in uh, the United States, in Kentucky. Um, and I will be looking at the Dream Card board, probably, in the next few days. I'm going to definitely talk about some Dream Cards today in the Four Matters segment. So thanks again, Marauder Mo. Appreciate all the feedback. Let's move on to the top five. The top five cards in the set Deep Space Nine are on the agenda today. We finished out the first contact. We finished out the Fajo collection. So Deep Space Nine was an interesting set. It was a double-sized set, and it also included one uh, sort of ultra-rare. It was a uh, preview card of the Defiant, which came out in the next set, the Dominion. It was white border, which was also kind of cool, and it made it pretty awesome, and it stood out. I forget the rarity of it. I think it was one in 121 packs, but it wasn't um, it wasn't printed on the rare sheet. They had apparently printed it on its own white sheet and inserted it at random. I I, I may be wrong about the rarity on that card. I think it was three times as rare. I don't remember. Whatever. Anyway, uh, so uh, some honorable honorable mentions before we move on to the top five list. Mysterious Orb, HQ Return Orb to Bejor, Process Or, and Going to the Top. Um, one kind of interesting theme in Deep Space Nine seemed to be a bit of es escalation, uh, at least to me. Uh, the game was starting to turn seeds into draws and seeds into free play engines, um, more so than we had seen in uh, any set before this. So now you can seed... Uh, the Chamber of Ministers or the uh, Central Command, and you could play certain guys with certain skill sets for free. And then the NOR allowed you to download cards that you needed later on at the cost of a card draw. And so the game started to shift into the game we know today. It kind of started to get away from, you know, draw, um, you know, playing your draw engines and getting out extra cards for free by playing certain other cards and seeding what you needed instead so that there were less dilemmas and more upfront seeded things. And it started to become very interesting. So um, so anyway, uh, here we go with the top five. Um, so the, I guess the reason I mention that is we see things like going to the top. Um, 
that is an interesting interrupt. Only, and it didn't make the top five because I think the other five cards are more interesting. But um, going to the top was a way for you to download, um, to turn an interrupt into a person. So essentially getting a free person. And this was another form of playing a card to get a card for free. Uh, kind of like Androids and whatnot. But, uh, and you were also limited to who you could download, which was also interesting. Um, and you had to have two Gold Star personnel together at a certain spot. So, um, so all of that came together to make for a way for people to play certain cards for free. Um, and so, escalation, perhaps, because an interrupt for personnel, you're getting a cheaper guy, but everyone has access to this, but it's a rare card. So, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, if someone had 10 copies of this, they might have a distinct advantage. So, um, it might have been a card on Decipher's part to try to boost sales. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, so you start to see cards like that. Um, and it's just interesting. Yeah, so, uh, number five on the list is... Zeppelite Freighter. Now, I don't usually include nouns on this list, but this is a very special noun because it is a um, very much like Zalconian Vessel, except, um, let's see, Zalconian Vessel was 986, I think, but you had to have a Gold Star and two non-aligns. This, you only had to have one non-align, but you had to have a Gold Star and a Staff, and it was 945, but the kicker was that it could report for free to docking ports because it was a freighter. So, uh, it's universal. So, it's a pretty hot card, and it saw a lot of play in a lot of decks. Um, yeah, so, uh, it's, it's just kind of a interesting, fun ship card that found its way into a lot of decks. So, moving on to number four, Defiant Dedication Plaque, of course. It's a card that's a staple in many decks. One of the first VPs to come out for first edition, just because it's so popular. And it gives you your ship's range plus two or plus three if they're Defiant class. So why wouldn't you play with the card, especially when you've got things like Defiant, uh, uh, Ready Room Door to get it into play for free and to protect it from nullification. So, great card. Uh, number three, Beware of Q. Uh, now, the first line of game text on there was probably for sealed play, so that if you happen to pull any of these uh, Q dilemmas that were in the set, you could actually seed them in a sealed game. And that's brilliant. That's exactly what Decipher should do. And it made sense at the time. The other two functions, probably the functions most famous for, was for allowing you to turn your just revealed dilemma into a Q flash. So you'd seed this, you'd seed a Q flash, so for the cost of two seeds, and then you have a Q's tent where you have the flash that you convert it to, or the flashes in your hand. So you have to do all this kind of crazy stuff to set this up, but they're going to hit a dilemma and you know that there's absolutely no way that it's going to do anything against that away team, boom, Q-Flash. So, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a really, really interesting uh, card and nothing else quite like it in first edition. In fact, with it gone, I'd kind of forgotten about it and I went to go read it and I was like, oh yeah, the, you could actually do some kind of 2E janky jank in 1E. So, um... Yeah, it's a card that's on the ban list in OTF right now, but probably for good reason, probably exactly for what I just discussed here. And I don't think it's broken, but it's definitely good. <laughs> All right, say that a lot. Number two is Hidden Fighter. Now, here's another escalation problem card, but it took cards... This was also interesting, though. It took cards that were just... 
you know, meh. Just these shuttlecraft and stupid ships that only had no staffing requirements and made them good all of a sudden. Because you're not going to play with them otherwise. There was no, nothing else letting them play for free. I mean, maybe if it was a freighter or a transport, it could play to docking ports for free at this point. But there was really no reason to play with a runabout or with a Raman scout vessel, except for Scout Encounter, of course, which is another really good way Decipher was able to make these old cards useful. And you see Decipher doing a lot of that, especially with AMS and all that. And I don't recall if AMS was in my top five for First Contact. If it wasn't, it should have been. Maybe it'll come up when we get to Voyager. Hint, hint. All right. And then number one, number one card of the set, HQ Secure Homeworld. I'm not sure that this should be number one, actually, now that I think about it, but it is good, and it shows up in just about every single deck that has a headquarters. So it allows you to attempt your headquarters mission by seeding it or playing it on the mission, and you attempt it with some pretty generic skills. So it kind of makes your headquarters a really easy mission, but you have to spend a seed slot on it, or you have to play it later. So you have to consider that. So, meh. It's, uh, it sees a lot of play, and it's just a cool card. It's very useful. All right, that's enough of the top five. Let's move on to forum matters. So, uh, as Marauder Mo hinted at, he was interested in hearing some more about dream cards, and he specifically is talking about the contests that go on there. I had a hard time following them. I'm going to have to go back and kind of look them over. But there was one dream card post that really intrigued me, and that was Sexecutioner's um, post about dream cards for Doctor Who, as if Doctor Who suddenly had first edition rules, and you could play, like, Doctor Who cards in first edition. How cool would that be, right? So I've seen people do this with other properties, too. Um, I think I tried to do this with some property once. Um, oh, yeah, I did it with Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, anyway... Uh, Anywho, enough of that. Uh, let's just take a look at a few of the uh, verb cards for the uh, David Tennant era here. So we've got a dilemma called Blink. And uh, it says uh, the Weeping Angels use the temporal energy stolen from their victims to flourish. By sending victims back in time, they can reabsorb that energy over and over and over again. Their energy over and over again. Very smart. Very cool. It's a cool plot device. Stephen Moffat, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the card title is Blink. It is a dual dilemma. And the game text goes, Two personnel random selection are relocated to a time location. Opponent's choice. They are attributes minus three for the rest of the game. Cumulative. So let's just talk about this as a 1E card. So I like I like two random selection. That's that's fine. Uh, not and, and it moves them to a time location. Opponent's choice. So this could stink if the time location was Hawking Council. So um, maybe it'd be nice if the time location was in the same quadrant as where you were right now. If, they were, if it was Hawking Council, you're essentially killing two guys. Just now, and frankly, that is kind of what happened on there. Uh, no spoilers, right? Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, so so thematically on the show, this makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm just worried about, you know, it should be in the same quadrant. I think that's what I would do here. And the attribute minus three is just a, kind of a fun flavor for the game text. So, uh, cumulative. So, if they get hit again, their attributes minus six. They're practically dead again. Okay, all right. Uh, time crash. There are inevitable instances. It's an, it's an event. Uh, there are inevitable instances when the doctor will return, will run into himself. This can cause friction, confusion, and spatial tears 
tears the exact size of Belgium. All right. Um, I think this refers to a mini episode. Uh, two. I think it means countdown box of two. Plays on table. You may have two versions of the Doctor persona in play at any time. Discard a card from hand to reset countdown. So this is kind of cool. Uh, it'd be, you know, I, I didn't talk about what the Doctors were that he's making. I'm sure they're, you know, very powerful mains. But wouldn't it be cool for a card in 1E to do this where it said, like, um, plays on your one dude, and uh, you may have additional copies of this dude in play um, with a countdown box. And then I, I like the idea of getting to discard a card from hand to keep it in play longer. Not only did you have to play the card in the first place, but you had to make sure the guy was in play, and then you got to make sure you can get another copy of the guy in play. Now, uh, unfortunately, this tends to lead to cheesier things, but just think about it from a gameplay perspective and not worrying about, you know, you would send it through the rigors of the playtesting. There's already clone machine, so I'm not too worried about that sort of thing. But uh, if, this, if there was a card that could let you have... You know, right now there's no way to really, other than anti-time anomaly with... Uh, persistence of memory to have more than two copies of the same persona in play by the same player so what if this allowed you to let have other copies of a persona and you had to keep discarding card every card every turn that might become an interesting deck type like the Jean-Luc Picard deck right you just play a bunch of cards and they play for free you know you keep ready room dooring them into play uh it might get out of hand actually but it kind of sounds fun and it's kind of an idea that'd be interesting to explore further uh, let's look at one more of these, and then we'll move on to the Philosophy of Trek segment here. Uh, Alon Z, it's an interrupt. It says, Kane, uh, we're not going to talk about the interrupt. Okay, anyway. Um, uh, the uh, lore. It says, your doctor gains navigation, leadership, honor, and a skill of your choice for the rest of this turn, once per persona. Okay. So... Uh, again, we didn't go over the doctors that he wrote, but an interrupt that just flat out gives you another skill, just any skill you want, right? Uh, if this said suspends play, holy crap, huh, uh, people would be pissed, but uh, it doesn't. You know, 1E has this, you know, there is the ability to do skill gaining in 1E. It's very hard, but it can be done uh, during a mission attempt, like with uh, uh, security drills. So... Anyway, uh, what this card would do is uh, maybe it's a special download on a guy, and you just once per game you can get that skill right when you do the special download during a uh, during a mission attempt, and I'd be okay with that. That'd be kind of cool and different, and you can do that with the uh, equipment right from the TOS guys. I think you can as soon as you download that equipment, you can immediately select the skills that they're supposed to have, and that's that's kind of cool, and that's just a uh, kind of. TOS can only do that. No one else does that. It's their own flavor thing. So this is a kind of a cool card. And, uh, yeah, so um, very interesting stuff. Once per persona. So, okay. All right. Uh, let's move on to the philosophy segment. Whoa. Not yet. This podcast. All right, that's better. So... The Philosophy Trek segment gives me a chance to kind of expand my mind and maybe expand yours, too. And we're going to talk about something interesting. Uh, so 
I, this topic I picked out I thought was interesting. Um, some people have been complaining I don't talk enough about 2E on this show. And I understand that. That's perfectly reasonable. I am a 1E player primarily, but 2E is definitely my favorite of the two games right now. So I need to talk more, to, but more about 2E. So what I wanted to do was bring together the two loves of my life, uh, first edition and second edition. I guess I have more loves than that, but don't tell my fiance that. Alrighty. I meant her. As in, she's my other love. I'm not cheating on her or something. Unless Trek is considered cheating. Anyway, so, let's talk about comparing 1E events to 2E events. Now, I want to do this because if you... 2E, as Charlie talked to in his latest Hindsight article, was smart about having 1EC cards, right? This was a way to say, okay, 1E players, uh, we, we'll miss you, and but we hope you'll stick around, you know. let's. How about you hedge your bet, right? If you collect this game, and you find that the 2E cards are just, you don't, you don't like the game very much, but you're, you know, uh, you get to keep the cards, and you can still play them in 1E. Or, you can keep playing both games, and we'll keep, produ- we'll keep producing things for both games. Uh, now, I know a lot of 1E players just right then, but some of them kept with it, right? So, that was smart. Uh, Decipher did a good job there. But what happened was a lot of the events that came out in 2nd edition that were 1EC compatible were just not that good in 1st edition. And if they were, they were incredibly, crazily broken. Um, And I'm trying to think of an example of that right now. How about the Genesis effect? Now, that didn't come out until set 11 of 2nd edition, but that was a card that basically said, (laughs) name a dilemma... Or, or was it, was a, yeah, you name, right, you just name a dilemma, do you name a dilemma, you name a dilemma, you play it on the mission, and then if that name dilemma comes up, doesn't matter if you've seen it before or anything, it just goes away. So if some dilemma stops you, and you have no way around it, you can just pack a Genesis effect, play it, and and then you blow it up with Navala the next turn, right? But that was until set 14. So anyway, um, great, you know, uh, these 2E cards that were, you know, somewhat okay in 2E were great in 1E, uh, and to the point of being broken. So, anyway, it's a good thing we converted that event. So, let's compare the two. So, events in 1E are, tend to be, uh, I think, Keeps Fajal Collector, Red Alert, Traveler Transcendence. Those are the, the big three events, I think, that came out in, in the premiere set. Because they let you play cards for free, they let you draw extra cards. So, uh, playing... Getting something for nothing, that's the theme of 1E, right? You you get these cards out, and then boom, you're flying, and you get your guys out, and you're attempting missions, and the game just gets faster and faster and faster, and boom, 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 and you're playing cards left and right. So that's first edition. It's the, uh, it does have a natural, even though it didn't have a built-in way of, cost count, or of costing things, the game keeps the magic sort of, uh, as the game goes on, you get to play more things, and the game goes faster. And it did that. It just it was able to do that anyway, and that's kind of cool. But never was it an even keel that both players were playing evenly. But you look at second edition events, you look at um, interesting events from set one, right? Uh, you've got uh, Labor Camp, and you've got uh, the uh, zero-cost uh, bicycles that let you discard a card from hand to draw two. And you've got... To boldly go, uh, what a weird way to round the corner uh, that no one plays with. 
and what else? Uh, there's there's more. Uh, um, there's cards that would give you extra point or not extra points, but um, extra range. I think on your ships with your commander aboard. It played on a ship, right? This is a weird event. You had tapestry and feast on the dying as ways to get cards back, and and so you can see quickly that second edition was like, well, we need to think about all the things that went wrong in first edition and make sure that they don't happen again. I've talked about that before, but so you had you had card recursion. You could basically had like generic cards that were events that would allow you to do things you needed to do in any deck. You need a card that gets back a card. Great, here's one. It's feast on the dying. It costs four. You discard two cards, then you can put two cards back on top of your deck. So you're essentially paying five to get a card back from your discard pile, minus two cards from your deck. It's crazy expensive, but uh, if you really need something, here you go. Here's the tool, and that's good. A game needs baseline cards like that, and it's important. And first edition doesn't have a lot of that. Well, it does, but it, at the same time, it doesn't. You know, Cube Special Collector is a baseline card. You play one card to draw three cards. So guess what? One card draw is worth three card draws, or one card play is worth three card draws. You know, that's how it works. So in second edition, uh, five counters lets you sort of get back two cards, uh, or get back a card. Um, so you can spend five counters in second edition to get back any one card from your discard pile. That's the baseline, and there it is. So um, they did a good job of kind of thinking about them. Tapestry was like, okay, you can get back cards from your discard pile, you can get back a lot of them, but you're going to have to get rid of all the non-personnel cards and non-ship cards in your deck and discard pile. And you're going to have to pay for this, too. It's not for free. So here you go. If you really need this, you really, you're going to play a really slim deck and you're really, really worried about needing to get guys back later on. Here's a way. And I really enjoyed that. I think, uh, I think that's a good thing. And, and some of these, I think, uh, Tapestry was backwards compatible. And... When you look at that card in first edition, you go, hmm, how can I break this, right? You want, if you need some way to, like, get rid of all the non-personnel and ships in your deck, well, here's a way. And uh, you play this, and boom, just, you know, total annihilation. All that's left in our nouns, and uh, have fun. So, and I think you're supposed to put your deck out of play. So you're supposed to, you, you could, like, be on the subatomic, play this... Grab all your personnel and ships back that were there, and everything else is gone. For some reason, for some cheesy reason, you might need to pull this off. So there you go. Here's an interesting tool. So, yeah, the, the difference is that uh, second edition, I feel, um, with the costing too, right? So this is, this is the main point I wanted to make, actually. Costed events, zero-cost events like those bicycles. The bicycles, I think, are backwards compatible, but they're ridiculous and so stupid to use in first edition. Why would you ever use one of those? You, you discard a card from hand to draw two. Um, or I could play Kivas Fajo Collector to draw three. Anyone? Anyone? No, I, I just don't see it. So, unless, unless, you know, it would be cool if there was, like, a card that said your bicycles could play for free, and maybe you'd do it, right? But that card already exists in first edition. It's called... Uh, remodulation and it's an interrupt and it's cheaper and it works better in more decks so um, yeah so so but if it, if it costs zero all it costs you in, in second edition is the cost of drawing a card for one card draw 
you can discard two to draw two. Okay, you know, maybe I'm just not getting what I need, and I really need to cycle out some things. So here you go. So that was good. But first edition, essentially, those zero-cost inter- events were interrupts in first edition. Um, and some of the cheaper events, I think you could argue the same way um, in first edition. Anything that costs three or more, that, that's more of a typical event. But even then, uh, you'd see not so many events played in first edition just because you could have played a personnel instead, or you could have played something else instead, or you could have played a handshake or something. And uh, you just kind of have to consider all these things um, in first edition. So, yeah, it's an interesting way of uh, just events in general. Um, they were they were the thing that lets you do things in first edition, and in second edition, they were the only thing that could let you do things that wasn't personnel. Um, if you wanted like a card that could be used in any deck, like Feast on the Dying, it had to go on an event, or you could do it on a mission, maybe. But so you gotta you gotta consider that and. Um, Events were also very affiliation-specific in 2E. I mean, they are. Uh, just just about every event says to play, you need three dudes in play of a certain affiliation. So that is something missing in 1E completely, almost completely. Very rarely would you see any card say, you can't play this unless you have this. So 2nd um, Edition changed that up, and maybe that was for the better. It made for more distinct affiliations, which is definitely lacking from money. It's not absent from money, but it is somewhat lacking. So you see that more in TUI, and that's one of the defining things about TUI, is just how crazy affiliation-specific uh, the game is. And that's fun. And it, it means that you, you, you feel like certain affiliations can only do certain things. Now, Charlie argues that that's not true anymore, um, and that's why Project Rose is doing its thing where it's focusing on bringing the Bajorans back and Bajor for Bajorans, right? And Cardass and for Cardassia, right? You know, it's probably going to be the taglines of the, uh, I, I'm guessing. And I don't really know anything. But anyway, you kind of get where I'm going with this. I'm going to wrap it up here, though. So uh, if you have questions, on comments, or concerns, give me a call at 267-CALL-CPJ. Leave me a PM at CorbinQ27 or shoot me an email at corbinjohnson at me.com until next time everybody have a safe cold winter day because it is really cold here and I'm going to say thanks uh, thanks for listening Corbin Johnson saying so long and thanks for all the trek <laughs>